Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Never underestimate the power of just that truth that God loves you, that Jesus loves you. Just the fact that God loves us, the fact that Jesus loves us, the fact that he knows everything about us. He knows all of our secret thoughts. He knows all of the things that we've done in the dark. He knows all of those things, and he still loves us. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, in a message titled, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. This is written to the church in its totality. And so the salutation, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. So right here up front, we have this, this salutation, this greeting from, notice, the triune God. Right here in the book of Revelation, in the very first few verses, it's clear that God is triune. And so we have that salutation from the Father, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, from the Spirit, the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. This is the only place in the New Testament where the order of the members of the Trinity is rearranged. In every other place where you have a Trinitarian formula presented in, in the New Testament, it's always, the order is always the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But only in this place is it the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. People have wondered, well, why is the order switched here? And I think the order is switched here because the emphasis here is on the humanity of the Son and on the fact that he is the one who is crowned as the king over all things. So I think it's just simply because of that, that the order is changed. But just a couple of quick words on the way both the Father and uh, the Spirit are described. So the Father is described here as the one who is, who was, and who is to come or was and is and is to come. And what you have there is a description of the self-existence and the eternality of God. This is the only place also in the New Testament where you find God being described in this way. And it harkens back to the way God spoke of himself when he revealed himself all the way back to the patriarchs and specifically to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Maybe you remember the story, Moses comes upon this bush that's burning, and he realizes that it's the Lord, and God speaks to him, take off your shoes from your feet, this is holy ground, and so forth. And God commissions Moses, you know, to go to Pharaoh and to deliver the people of Israel from their captivity, and Moses says, who do I, okay, when I go, who do I say sent me? And the Lord said, say that I am hath sent you. And the Hebrew word I am there is I am the one who 
was and is and is to come. So here in the book of Revelation, we're seeing how all of, all of the revelation from Genesis all the way through, it's all tied together. So God is here presenting himself in the same fashion that he revealed himself to Moses, the one who was and is and is to come. And then the seven spirits. So again, the number of seven is completion. So here the idea is the fullness of the spirit. But then thirdly, the salutation is from Jesus Christ, the God-man. And then he's described as the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. And so these are the things that I really want to focus on, as well as a few others. First of all, Jesus is spoken of here as the faithful witness. The faithful witness. Jesus is the faithful representation of God. He's the faithful witness. He showed us perfectly, exactly who God is. And the New Testament states that many times over. Jesus himself declared that. You remember in the 14th chapter of John, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and at a certain point, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and, and then we'll be happy. We'll be satisfied. Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long that you haven't recognized me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not know that the Father is in me and I am in him? So Jesus himself declared that he was, if, if you see him, you've seen the Father. And of course, the other writers of the New Testament said the same thing. We perhaps, uh, you remember the passage in Hebrews that reminds us of that, speaking of Christ, that he is the brightness of God's glory in the exact representation of his person. Jesus went on to say that both his words and his works were the result of the Father who was dwelling in him. John uh, 14, 10, he said, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. And then that great text in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. So you see, Jesus is the faithful witness. He is the one who came and he showed us who God is. And if you are wondering who God is, if you're wondering what God is like, then just open the pages of the New Testament and read the Gospels and you will see for yourself, this is what God is like. That's what the Gospels are. They are a presentation to us of who God is and what he's like. You know, oftentimes we or maybe in conversation with a person and maybe we're you know, seeking to share the Lord with them. And sometimes we feel sort of stumped as to, well, you know, what can I say to them or, or what can I give them? And oftentimes we you know, might give somebody a, a little gospel track or we might even recommend a book, which I've done many times. But you know, I think it would be wise if we, first of all, just pointed them to the gospels. Just point them to the gospels. And even though you could point them to any one of the Gospels, I usually point people to the Gospel of John because 
John tells us that he wrote his gospel that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing they might have life through his name. I was talking to a man earlier this morning. He was telling me about this ongoing conversation he has with a self-acclaimed agnostic. And he was sort of saying, what what do you think I should do? Should I keep talking to him? And said, absolutely, keep talking to him. Uh, What do you think I might give him? I said, well, you know what? Why don't you just tell him, challenge him? Why don't you read the Gospel of John? Because this is where you can find out what God is like. Because there he is, right on the pages, God in human flesh, Jesus, the faithful witness. Secondly, he is the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. The, the word firstborn, it can refer to first in, in chronological order, and it can also refer to first in the sense of the most important or the greatest or the, the preeminent. And in this case, I think it's actually both. But in, in regard to the first chronologically, if you think about it, Jesus, in, in one sense, wasn't the, f- the first person to rise from the dead. You go back to the Old Testament, you find a couple of examples in the Old Testament of people who were raised from the dead. And then, of course, you can find examples in the New Testament. You can find examples of Jesus raising people from the dead. But the common thing with every one of them is they were raised from the dead to die again. They all died again. Jesus, in contrast to that, Jesus was raised from the dead never to die again. You see, the difference between them and Jesus is that Jesus rose from the dead and is now presently in his glorified body and can never die again. So that resurrected body, that glorified body that every believer in Christ will one day receive, Jesus has already received it. And so we know, even as we read the resurrection accounts, we know that It was the same body that Jesus died in that he rose in, but there were obviously things that were different about it. It was a a glorified body. It still had the wounds from the suffering, but yet it was a different kind of a body, a body that could appear and disappear, a body that could pass through walls and doors and so forth. So Jesus is the firstborn from the dead in the sense that he has already received that glorified body. At the right hand of God today, there is a man in a body that is glorified, a human body that is glorified. He's the firstborn from the dead, and he's the reminder for us that we will also likewise one day rise from the dead and be given that glorified body. And then thirdly, it says concerning Jesus that he is the ruler over the kings of the earth. And I want you to notice the present tense. He is the ruler presently over the kings of the earth. You know, sometimes we mistakenly think that Jesus isn't ruling. No, he is, even now. Now, his rule is not yet acknowledged. It's not yet manifested as it will be. Of course, this book is all about the, the establishing of that rule. But make no mistake about it, Jesus is presently ruling. He is ruling. Another way we put it is God is sovereign. God is sovereign over the affairs of the world. And even though things are chaotic in many parts of the globe today, God is sovereign in that he is working out his eternal purposes and 
no one can do anything that God doesn't allow them to do, that Jesus doesn't allow them to do, because he is presently the ruler over the kings of the earth. In the days that John wrote this, many people believe it was during the reign of Domitian. Domitian was intensely persecuting Christians. That's probably why John ended up on the island of Patmos. But it appeared to most people that Domitian was the the ruler over the earth. But no, the reality was Jesus was ruling then. And every period since then, it's all been the same. The Lord is sovereign. And if you really take a close look at history, guess what? Things are going exactly the direction God said they would go. And we see that. And we will see that more clearly as we go through the book. So he is the ruler over the kings of the earth presently. But of course, this book is taking us out to the time and the place when that becomes a universal reality when everybody sees that to be the case. And Paul wrote about that in Philippians when he spoke of Jesus as the one who humbled himself, who although he was in the form of God, did not consider it something to be held on to, to hold on to that equality with God, but he humbled himself. He became of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant and being found in the likeness of men, He humbled himself to the point of death, and not just death, but even the death of the cross. And because of this, Paul says, therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The book of Revelation is all about that reality coming to the entire universe. Jesus being made publicly, if you will, to be seen as the ruler over the kings of the earth. So John states this concerning Jesus, and then he breaks into a word of praise to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as, as John thinks about God, the Father, the one who is and was and is to come, as he thinks about the fullness of the Spirit, as he thinks about Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, as he uh, thinks on him as the ruler of, over the kings of the earth, he then, he marvels and he bursts forth and prays that this God loves us. How do we know he loves us? Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's how we know God loves us. Because he washed us from our sins. And there's a debate among scholars as to whether he loved past tense or loves present tense. And the truth is both. It's both, right? He loved us. And his great demonstration of love was the cross, washed us from our sins in his own blood. But of course, he loves us today. He didn't just love us back then. He loves us today. Never underestimate the power of just that truth that God loves you, that Jesus loves you. You know, sometimes we we become so familiar with these these kinds of things, we, we forget how powerful this can actually be. Just the, the fact that God loves us. 
the fact that Jesus loves us, the fact that he knows everything about us. He knows all of our secret thoughts. He knows all of the things that we've done in the dark. He knows all of those things, and he still loves us. And how do we know he loves us? Because he washed us. Or some translations read, he freed us from our sins. He did both. He washed us from our sins and he freed us. But how much does he love us? He did all of this with his blood. That's how much he loves us. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus said, that one would lay down his life for his friends. And that's what he did for us. You know, maybe you're here today and maybe you're wondering about whether or not anybody loves you. Well, know this, Jesus loves you. He really does. And he showed how much he loves you by giving his life, by shedding his blood. He washed us from our sins in his blood. And so it's his blood that shows us the magnitude. He washed us, or like I said, some translations read he freed us, but he did both. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. Charles Wesley wrote that. That's the truth. So he loved us, loves us. He washed us. He freed us from our sins in his own blood. And he made us a kingdom of priests or kings and priests. But more literally, he made us a kingdom of priests to uh, his God and Father. And this is the future of every believer. We are a kingdom of priests. And that's going to be the case in the, the new world that Christ will establish when he comes back. You want to know what you're going to be doing uh, when Jesus comes back? We are going to be a kingdom of priests. We're going to be the worship leaders in the new age to come. That's what the priests essentially do. They lead the worship. They lead people in the worship of God. And that is what we're going to do. We'll be showing forth the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light from generation to generation and then verse seven, real quickly, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And so the universal recognition of Christ when he returns, every eye will see him. When Jesus comes back, this is amazing. If you think about it, every single person, everyone will see him. He will appear in the clouds, but it will, be, it will be seen everywhere. And simultaneously, he will be in the north and in the south and in the east and in the west. And there, there won't be a single place on earth where Jesus is not seen when he returns. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And I think here the specific references to the nation of Israel they were the ones really who pierced him. They were the ones who turned him over to the Romans to crucify him. And this is what the prophet Zechariah said in the 12th chapter, the 10th verse, God speaking through the prophet. He said, they will look upon me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And so the, John is really just echoing that very thing right there. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. So Israel will mourn over the fact that they have rejected for all of these centuries their Messiah. I think the rest of the nations are going to mourn because, and, and you could translate the word wail, because they recognize that the judgment has now come. But let me just read to you real quickly in closing what one person wrote about this. He said, behold, he is coming. Here is the great 
fact unequivocally stated, Christ has not gone to heaven to stay there. He will return again. Few believe this and still fewer lay it to heart. Many sneer at the very idea and would fain laugh down the people who are so simple as to entertain it. But it is nevertheless the immutable truth of God, predicted by all his prophets, promised by Christ himself, confirmed by the testimony of angels, proclaimed by all the apostles, believed by all the early Christians, acknowledged in all the church creeds, sung of in all the church hymn books, prayed about in all the church liturgies, and entering so essentially into the very life and substance of Christianity that without it, there is no Christianity except a few maimed and mutilated relics too powerless to be worth the trouble or expense of preservation. That religion which does not look for a returning savior or locate its highest hopes and triumphs in the judgment scenes for which the Son of Man must appear is not the religion of this book and is without authority to promise salvation to its devotees. Murmur at it, dispute it, despise it, mock it, put it aside, hate it, and hide from it as men may. It is a great fundamental article of the gospel that the same blessed Lord who ascended from Mount Olivet and is now at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, shall come from thence to judge the living and the dead and to stand again on the very summit from which he went up. This is true as Christ himself is true. That's powerful. That's the reality. Every eye shall see him, even they who pierced him. And all of the peoples of the earth shall mourn. And then the final word in the opening salutation, the Lord, it's like the Lord Jesus himself breaks in here. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. And I want you to notice this. Who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus here clearly identifies himself as the eternal God. He is just like the Father, the one who was and is and is to come, so he is as well. He is the Almighty. And so the one who is the Almighty, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last letters of the alphabet, the one that everything started with and the one everything will end with. That is the one who loves us and who washed us from our sins in his blood. And thank God that he's coming back and he's gonna set up a kingdom and thank God that we are part of it and that anyone that chooses to be part of it can be by simply having their sins forgiven by their faith in him. God help us all to do that. For the month of June, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner. Are you struggling to recognize the hand of God during difficult seasons of life? If you need a fresh reminder of God's presence in your present circumstances, or if you know someone who does, then you need to get this book. The Myth of Coincidence chronicles John Bonner's story of God's faithfulness and is full of devotional insights, scripture, and sections for reflecting upon how God is at work in your life. Dispel the myth of coincidence in your own story. Get this book today. The book The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner 
is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. We are so excited about this Israel trip because we absolutely love going to Israel. So we'd love to have you join us October 23rd through November 4th, 2022. And you can find more information at israel.cccm.com. We'd love to have you join us.